I just noticed that Coke has it so that when you're drinking, you see their logo, but other people see the, the rear end of the, of the can. So look at that rear end. Do you see all the, the business folder all? There's, you know, there's a barcode yeah. and there's there's just basic things like that and the, and the uh, ingredients. Shouldn't they reverse it? Because you've already bought the Coke. That's an interesting uh, choice they've made. But maybe they think that people are private drinkers and it doesn't matter. You're just, they're just trying to re uh, reestablish the connection to the company. And I must say that I there's almost no one more connected to Coke than than I am. So, you know, when I went to uh, jail, federal prison, they was right at the same time. Like I was in it was after I was in because that's when the world started to kind of go haywire a little bit, you know, in reaction. Uh, but uh, I'm colorful anyway. Uh, they got rid of Coke and it was like, you know, it was, it was bizarre. That whole new Coke thing. Oh, that's when it happened. You were doing the new yes, Coke disaster. Yes. I, read I wasn't, I wasn't that. free to stop it. I read a book no, about it, that. It was very interesting how big they messed up. They didn't understand their market in America, especially the South. I think though they, the South likes their sweet stuff, but Coca-Cola is a huge deal in the South. In the South, you say, I want a Coke, and then they say, what kind? And Pepsi would be a Coke. All drinks are Cokes. It's like in the South, and, and I, I'm from the South, you know, or at least that's uh, that's one of the things I picked up. I was there from eight until, you know, an adult and uh, eight years old. And and so I would always call everything a Coke. You know, you just, it's just, it's just right. a habit. Yeah, and like, like what kind of Coke? You know, yeah, if like you, I would catch myself. Yeah, it's like Kleenex. Yeah, that's very odd. Uh, but people do that all the time with all sorts, all sorts of things. I love the the uh, uh, Dr. Pepper commercials uh, uh, that you. I'm sure you don't see. Um, but if you watch football, uh, college football, you see and watch SEC, Southeastern Conference, which, of course, is the strongest conference. And uh, growing up in Arkansas, we were Southwest Conference. Then we switched. Now everybody switches about seven times a year. But uh, but now we're in the Southeastern Conference. It's the best conference. And the games, Dr. Pepper's big in the South. I like Dr. Pepper. Uh, I mean, it's poison, but <laughs> it, well, I mean, it's full of sugar. And there's nothing There's nothing that a doctor says, gee, get, go get you some Dr. Pepper. That'll be good for you. Anyway, um, Anyway, they, the commercials are really good, except they have one where the guy's kind of a weirdo in a high-pitched voice with, like, pink coloring and so on who sings about Dr. Pepper. So it's like maybe they're afraid they'll have too many customers, or I don't know. But, uh, but Dr. Pepper has generally interesting commercials. The The latest one is... Uh, the son of a of a couple uh, is just he's he's not that upset. I mean, they lost. He's really upset they lost that weekend. But you know, life goes on, and the mother screams in horror. What's happened to you? You know, it's like how can you move on from a defeat in football? <laughs> and and, and, and really, you Dr. Pepper and the and drink of the world. Dr. Pepper. That's the Dr. Pepper somehow is associated, which has replaced, it seems like, the the high-pitched singing guy 
that was Dr. Pepper. Which yeah. I had a friend. I have a friend who who during like the basketball games would text me and go, "I just can't watch another one of those Dr. Pepper commercials. What has gone on with this world? What okay, what's well, going on?" Well, I must say, I like I like the way you describe the uh, current one. I like Dr. Pepper. Uh, I don't drink any of the sugar versions. I'm an aspartame man, uh, which is probably worse in some way, but it doesn't have the same effect on the metabolism that sugar has. And sugar is a huge poison, uh, which uh, which government helped squelch knowledge of in the late 70s and 80s. Yes. My- this, was a, this was a real thing when doctors were turning on sugar to, in a big way and governments were helped industry squelch that information yes my mom uh went to nursing school uh as the kids got older and uh and became an rn and and was very into nutrition she passed away earlier this year and um and she certainly saw the connection between government policies and they're pushing all this you know i mean hated high fructose corn syrup and all these different things that were just becoming part of the diet. And, uh, and it's funny because we have stories is she went on this health kick, you know, that's how we saw it. Mom's on a health kick. There's like no food in the house. You know, where did super sugar crisp go? And my little brother, Matt, I've outed you, Matt, uh, to, to the, the national worldwide audience here that Matt he loved uh, Captain Crunch. Uh, and when, what was it? What was the other one? Quisp? There was another one that fe- that that went away, but it was a really good cereal, too, and they were, like, competing. Anyway, I, uh, he would know. But he would he would have – he would sneak them. And, um, and my parents were sound sleepers. And so, you know, I'm, like, 18, 19, I'm coming home – it's Saturday night. It's 1 a.m. I'd like a bowl of cereal really badly. <laughs> and uh, and it's like, oh, where's Matt? And Matt, what you got? <laughs> and, and, you know, he'd go, I'd come up to, he'd pull out the two cereals and, you know, which one you want. And the thing is, he, you know, maybe he wasn't very entrepreneurial. I don't remember him charging money for it. I get, I'm sure there was some, hey, here's some money to get some more because, you know, Matt's very smart. <laughs> but uh, but it was just, it was, it was a funny, it's a funny world. Welcome to This Week in Common Sense starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula. I'm going to be helping Paul run through the five stories that he wrote this week for thisiscommonsense.org. That's the website uh, he calls Common Sense with Paul Jacob. It's been running since 1999. And the five pieces Paul wrote this week are right up on my spreadsheet here. And they are on Monday, weak link in chain of corruption. That's about school boards. Democracy by tortoise. That's about the California elections. Getting guns to good guys. That's about the interesting failure of America to supply contracted for guns to Taiwan. That is armaments. That is big systems to Taiwan. They're not doing it. That's interesting. Stuck in the middle with us is about a common misconception about Taiwan and China and the U.S. And the turn on a dime's difference is about UFOs and a recent report to Congress that's not been made public yet. So, Paul, where do we begin? It's Friday. It's cold on the East Coast. It's not warm up here. Mid-Atlantic. 
it's it's like winter. It felt like winter today. And my wife is a nut about hates cold weather. She will tell people that this is as far south as I'll allow us to live. <laughs> to blame it on me that and she sees Virginia, Northern Virginia as like, you know, this is the way north with the freezing temperatures. And I'm thinking, yeah, you haven't seen anything yet. Uh, I have a friend who spent a, uh, about a year, I think, in uh, Saskatoon, and uh, it's a little colder there. But anyway, uh, speaking not of cold, uh, but of the elections, we had we started the week talking about some of the good news of the election, and that was wink, we wink, weak link in chain of corruption, and. This is basically uh, um, when we, we talk about corruption, you know, we we don't think of the schools. I mean, that's not where the government corruption is, except it is. We brought we've, we've talked so many times through the years, you know, when when the schools came out with uh, with these graduation rates and we're going to measure ourselves and, you know, we're running this like a like a business and uh and all over the country, you know, they're coming in with great increased graduation rates. And almost all of those are so completely phony that it is, it's angering. It's not just frustrating or sad. It makes you just angry to think that they would just, they'll just lie to you about your kids. Atlanta, Chicago, huge scandals where the administration's involved, the teachers are involved. They're, you know, don't come tomorrow because we're testing. Uh, hey, it's okay that you've missed 68 days this month. We're going to pass you anyway if you do some work. Oh, you didn't do it? Well, we'll pass you anyway. And then their graduation rates are fantastic. Um, so we've had all kinds of corruption in the schools, but uh, but the school boards are all across the country. I mean, education is a huge part, about half of state government and a huge part of what local governments are doing. And we seem to have uh, a, a, you know, epidemic hate to use that term, but I'll use it here just kind of to be nasty, uh, uh, of the schools are going to indoctrinate our kids in all kinds of crazy ways from, it's, it's not just critical race theory, um, it's socialism, it's, uh, it's all kinds of different things, it's certain sexual ideas, and this is how it should be taught, and, and, and my argument here isn't Oh, no, that's not how it should be taught. Every kid should be taught the way I look at these things. Stop, stop taking kids and doing to them what you want to do instead of what their parents want you to do. And if you if you can't do that, then let's get rid. In fact, you can't do that. We've had a lot of experience. Let's have school choice and let's let that you don't believe the parents are your customers. Then let's change the dynamic and put the money back in their hands and let them buy schooling. And I think, whoa, just immediately, we will, we will have public schools that realize the parents are customers. They are our customers. They do get to set the agenda at our school because our whole business model is we need them to come 
bring their kids and we'll teach. Their kids will learn. Everyone will be happy. We'll we'll deposit our checks. I mean, th- this is uh, and and to do that, you you can take over legislatures, but you can also um, and have to, I think, get involved with school boards. And and on Monday, this piece, uh, weak link in chain of corruption. See how much better I say it the second time through. Um, is it's basically uh, John Hinderaker uh, of Powerline, which is a great blog in Minnesota, and this organization, Minnesota Parents Alliance, got serious about running campaigns and helping people run campaigns for school board. And they did fantastic. They targeted 19 races. They won 15 of them. I mean, if you're the truth is, if you're targeting races and you're winning three of thirty uh, percent of them, you know that's that's pretty darn good. It's very difficult uh, to kind of trust me. I know uh, to to just you know set up shop and start helping candidates, and you know they don't all go win every every time. And it's it's tough to learn. It's tough to recruit candidates. Anyway, they appear to have done a super good job. And uh, and it's an area in which people were not very much involved in. And, you know, it's when you when you get involved in politics, you just realize how much of it there is and how difficult it is. Um, And it's easy sometimes to just think, you know, we don't have to do that. Uh, let's just, you know, <laughs> let's limit this just like we want to limit government. And we do. And trust me, I think in a personal way, in other ways, we do have to limit our involvement at some level. <laughs> Boy, my wife is, <laughs> if she were listening and she'd be like, I going, Oh, don't you try to preach anything to them on that. But, uh, because I'm, I'm not very good at, at limiting. Um, I'm a little manic sometimes about these things, but, um, but it's it's like the the old saying that you may not be interested in politics, but politics is interested in you. And and, you know, I view political activity as self-defense um, and it it we, we have to defend ourselves. And and I think one of the ways to do that is to get involved in school board races. And and if we're going to get involved in politics, let's not fix it here without paying attention to the fact that they're going to break it over here. Uh, you know, let's do it right. And uh, the, this this uh, involvement at the school board level makes a lot of sense. And it's 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 something that the left, which largely is public employee unions as their base group, uh, they're paying attention because that's 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 their bread and butter. And public education is sort of their one of their main drivers. It's their biggest union. It's their most powerful unions right there that control public education. So it's 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 a it's it's the it's their meat and potatoes. And it should be mentioned. Uh, and I think this is true. I'll, I'll just pretend it's true for now. Uh, m- many big <laughs> cities uh, are run exactly how the public teachers unions want them to run it. Many big cities, they're, they're, they're machines. And what's the best and biggest machine in many big cities? Are the teachers' unions. And they support the candidates they want. And, and many cities are democratically elected, but barely. There's often not really any uh, real opposition. People go on for year it's, after year after year in office. 
a lot of the biggest cities, uh, overwhelmingly one-party cities. I mean, New, New York, uh, you know, that they have fusion with some of the smaller parties, but it's, you know, it's a one-party uh, city. Uh, it's not quite a one-party state, uh, but, you know, L.A. is a one-party city. San Francisco is a one-party city. Minneapolis is a one-party city. Um, and, you know, I mean, you just you go on and on. So... Well, and you also mentioned uh, recall elections were used in this battle. Yes, and that's and and the the recall, you know, recall is tougher. It's in the, it's kind of a case by case basis. It's been used very effectively. You know, they recalled three city council people in San Francisco. Uh, that was not a you know deep red conservative you know rebellion. It was very liberal people who vote for Democrats saying, "Why are you screwing up our schools?" We actually have kids that we want to learn. You know, we, we're not for the schools just for ideological reasons and for party building. We have kids and we'd like them to get an education. So, um, you know, that's it, the the level, you know, the more people confront government, the more you see that the people confronting it don't all fit a pattern of I'm this ideological stamp. And they're all across the spectrum. And the more that they engage and you look at the actual situations, you realize that this isn't, this wasn't, what happened in Loudoun County with the schools wasn't something that just conservatives said, what are you doing? Everybody said, what are you doing? You know, why, why are you teaching racial issues in the way that you're teaching them? Why are you hiding um a rape that's that's being prosecuted because of some transgender issue as if you're doing the world a favor by hiding that people are being raped at our schools and then one of the one of the ways that came out was that the father of the girl who was raped got irate at a school board meeting. You hear about these parents who go crazy and they're just right-wing zealots. Well, I don't know how much of a right-winger this guy was, but I think he was really emotionally invested in the fact that his daughter was raped at the school. And I think that when they suggested at a public meeting that no such thing had happened, it pushed him over the line. And I have to say that if I were on a jury... And they dropped all the charges against him, of course. But if I were on a jury and he came up, he would be not guilty. Uh, or there'd be a hung jury because there'd be at least one juror who was not convicting him on anything as like disturbing the peace because he got out uh, irate and shouted at a board meeting in which people are lying about uh, rape happening at the school when his daughter is the is the, the young woman who was raped. What a, uh, and, and, and again, this is the kind of stuff, this isn't the kind of stuff that, well, if you're on this side of the spectrum, that's okay. Nobody thinks this is okay. And so why does it happen? Because you've got that entrenched power that's full of itself and that starts to act arrogantly and way outside the lines. There are no lines. It is sort of partisan about who's allowed to be angry in public. 
So a parent isn't kind of allowed to be angry at a school board, but a mob of a hundred or a thousand people can riot in the streets and we call it a and the media at least calls it a mostly peaceful protest. To me, that man should have, I mean, that little clip should have been titled, this is what democracy looks like. Because sometimes the people have to express yes. their anger. And the idea that a school board meeting should have no anger or uh, strong words said in it is absurd. Uh, that's not how politics works, because sometimes really big things and big differences are on the line and people have to be able to express the full range of their emotions as well as their arguments. Yeah. Yes. And there is, you know, look, physical violence is, is, uh, is, you know, had he destroyed the podium, I mean, nobody would have been hurt <laughs> except for, except for the person who had to clean it up. But, um, but you know, that would be violence. Had he spray painted something, that's a level of violence. Had he pushed or shoved or hit somebody, that would be. But you know, I think, and and of course we've been we for years. You helped me with the the column at town hall, and uh, and I remember what was it? Maybe uh, maybe it was 13, 14, 2013, 2014, 2015, When you know the the Milo, what's his name? I want to say Stephanopoulos. What was his last? Yiannopoulos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and some of the different things, and and looking at at you know basically riots and destruction and fires being set on college campuses. Um, the thing that I found most unnerving and just frightening in a in a societal way were the people who would be on camera talking about. Um, you know, well, yeah, she she got hit in the face. She deserved to get hit in the face because she was coming to this event or, you know, or or remember the uh, we did a column about the Sandy, San Jose uh, Trump rally. Um, and afterwards, somehow the San Jose police, they gave a bunch of people the night off or something. And there were all kinds of people. Uh, and Trump wasn't my candidate, um, and and uh, I was I was more fond of him in 2020 until after the election, and uh, than I was in 2016. But you know, people are people, and and you know, I wasn't fond of Hillary Clinton, but I didn't want someone to slug her or to slug people who liked her. And and after this rally, all the I mean, you see it on video the the woman who was egged. And she supposedly said something or did something. It turned out that she probably didn't, but it doesn't matter. It's a young woman and there's a crowd of men and she may have called them every name in the book. You don't throw eggs at her and hit her in the face with them. That's, you know, and I, I don't really recall that being condemned. And 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 maybe they thought it was just a given, but but wouldn't you kind of go, boy, that's really bad? I don't think there were any arrests. There were no arrests for that. And and older couples walking who they're just walking down the street and someone's slapping the guy's hat off or whatever. And this is thuggery. And and uh, you know, if you want to live in that society, 
it will rapidly become a society where you will slap some old man's hat off his head and then he will pull out a gun and he will blow your head off. And that's that's the kind of reactions that people will start to make. And and I think people like me, not me, because I, I can't legally own a gun, um, but I just might slap you in the mouth. It, it's the sort of thing that you cannot allow society to descend into that sort of chaos. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been happening for a long time. It's not a recent, I mean, that was Trump, but that was not Trump because somehow Trump was so powerful. That was the establishment saying we're okay with thugs going around beating people up if, if their politics is on the other side. Well, there's a lot of politics on the other side these days. Um, the sides are pretty, pretty evenly split, and they're it was shown in the last election too. I mean, the Republicans didn't do all that well uh, compared to what we thought, considering what the Democrats deserved, right? I mean, the Democrats yes. deserved a yes. smackdown like uh, yes. like Republicans got in 2008. But maybe people felt like Republicans didn't deserve the victory, and I think I think well, that there is a lot of truth to that. I I think there's also the, the Democrats ran with a couple of themes that we're not going to create a democratic wave and we're not, hey, look at what a great job we're doing, but we're fear inducing. And in some ways, um, successfully fear inducing. It was a threat to democracy. And as much as I think they've overplayed January 6th, January 6th is not a good thing and i i haven't seen i haven't seen polls but i think a majority of the american people is it was it good or a bad thing it was a bad thing and so it's a something and and they've been able to tie it to trump and pull trump out and and of course use the the process in congress i think in an unfair way to run a a smear campaign on trump and some of it no doubt deserved, some of it not, but but a smear campaign that was, I think, largely successful, echoed in the media. And and so I think that's, you know, a, a lot of we, we have a different world now where the media is they're part of the Democratic Party in a in a different way, in the same way that, yes, of course, Fox is part of the Republican Party in exactly the reverse way. Um but, but you look anxious. I just find January 6th to be such a stupid subject. Uh, I mean, the, every bit of footage I saw made it a ridiculous bad, not an evil bad. And and a ridiculous bad means that your campaign against it has to be ridiculous. So my respect for the Democratic Party has been going down steadily for years now. And if there's any left, I don't see where it could possibly be. Uh, and the, the, to me, their biggest campaign uh, issue was abortion and i thought that was mishandled on both sides republicans republicans should have just simply reiterated federalism and let it go at that but even goobers like i was lindsey graham and 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 the speaker of the house not speaker of the house uh the former senator minority leader no i was the other guy in in the senate uh the, the kentucky guy Oh, uh, McConnell, McConnell. Yeah, I think both mentioned uh, going after abortion nationally. At least I re- I know yeah, it was the right Lindsey Graham did that. And frankly, any the party leaders do that, 
That was the wrong time. Even if they wanted to, that was the stupidest thing they could possibly have done. They deserve to lose. But of course, I don't know if they did lose rightly because who knows what's going on in the elections. And that's what you wrote about on the 15th. Democracy by tortoise, which is um, California. Uh, <laughs> love it, hate it. <laughs> it's a failed state. It can't even count its own, its own elections. It's well, what, a, what a crock. I, I love the initiative process there. They have actually a very good process, very good law, very good constitutional, you know, uh, framework for it. Um, <clears throat> and uh, but this this latest thing, I have a friend out there that I I talked to uh, this week and say, you know, what is it? What you know? Because I figure maybe there's some reason behind why it's so slow to count things and. And uh, this person pretty much agreed with me that, and most folks that I've talked to do that, you know, you don't have to be some crazy, oh, it's, they've got some magic potion to change the ballots, but the longer that ballots are there and it's, it's like, you're going to count them in the next three weeks. Um, what? You, it's just the longer it goes on, the more you worry that have they been kept safe? Did anybody play around with them? Why don't we just count them and total them and then be finished? And and they want to say, well, it's because they allow and they allow you to mail it on election day. You can mail your ballot. And it was unclear because half the places said you then have to, it has to arrive within three days. Other places said it had to arrive within six days. But the truth is, is eight days or 10 days later, it really isn't. The, the problem is no longer that it took them six days after the election to get it to you. The problem is you've had it for two or three days and you hadn't counted it all. And uh, they have the new law is that they have to count for six hours a day, not counting holidays or weekends. <clears throat> uh, and, and it's like. Six hours a day. Um, I have to tell you, I've uh, I've been involved with petition drives where, uh, and sometimes the Secretary of State's offices will be obnoxious. Uh, they're much more apt to open, like when you have a deadline that's a certain day to bring in petition signatures, sometimes hundreds of thousands or a million plus signatures. Um, sometimes the deadline is that day and they will they will allow you to come in as late as midnight if you need the time. Uh, other times, if it's uh, in years ago in Missouri, there was a deadline where there was a holiday and then there was a state holiday. And they could have given said, we're not going to be open on the state holiday. And it would have given us an extra day to petition. And they opened and they opened, I think, specifically, this was in Missouri, specifically to deny us that extra day. Um, but they can say, well, it's uh, five o'clock. You have to be in by five o'clock, that sort of thing. Um, and so I've, I I know that these offices, they're, they can be very dil diligent and they can be, they work. And like when they're counting signatures, they will hire a whole staff of people to do it. And they're not fooling around. And, and by and large, I've seen them screw things up and I've seen them fool around, but by and large, they're not fooling around and they're professional. And this idea that you're going to count for six hours a day and that it's going to take three weeks is garbage. It's absolute garbage. And it's, it's the sort of thing that <clears throat> the media to buy all that 
They want it to be true. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah, because they want to encourage this voting for weeks on with ballot. You know, I mean, the, the most corruptible form of electioneering, election ballot counting and all that stuff. As Jimmy Carter said, the most corruptible form was mail-in ballots uh, or mail-out ballots in a sense. They they mail a ballot to everybody around the area, including dead people, apparently. Uh, and this is a real problem. And they don't. And I don't know how I should look into how it's really done, how it works out in my state, because they boast that they've perfected the technique after many years of trying. Uh, I hate it, so I've never really paid much attention to it. You know, but yeah, <clears throat> I will say this. Uh, more mail ballots because it's all mail ballot in in uh, Washington State, and you guys weren't fast, but you were your Secretary of State was faster than California, that's for sure. And of course, one of the things California says is, "Well, we're a big state with a lot of people," and I'm thinking, no, that doesn't work either because in a big state with a lot of people, you can hire more and bigger people to count. This is it's like it's like this is we're so ready to give people excuses for why they can't do what people have been doing for years again and again and again. It doesn't make any sense. Unless you realize that's what they want. Yeah. Yeah. It's. uh, Oh, well, and and, uh, you know, having having, uh, you know, uh, what I can't think of the term, but uh, having having basically given California its due, uh, it's a beautiful state, but uh, sure is screwed up in a lot of ways. Um, at least they have a process to fix it, maybe someday. Um, and uh, no, I, I think uh, uh, in some ways they're in better shape than states that are not as in as bad shape, because at least there is that process for people to do something about it. And when I'm talking to people in California who want to see change, I have a, a you know, it's a lot better than when you're talking to someone who's in Delaware that wants change because well, they just don't have the same, they don't have the same tools. I think the citizens blew it when they didn't split the state up into four or five pieces like they could have a few years back. They never got that on the ballot. They never got on the ballot? No, it was never on the ballot for the voters. The voters never got a say on oh, that. Oh, well, that, that explains that. Was that. I, I think it ended up failing to get signatures. And there, I, I could be wrong. There may have been some version. I don't think so, because I would have remembered it. It. Uh, I'd be very interested to see how people would vote on something like that. But it, it there is hope. You know, I think so many conservatives have kind of written off California, especially Republicans, you know, because kind of on a when you're thinking state by state and how do we win, you know, why would we spend any time with California? And years ago, I remember when Howard Dean uh, was chairman of the Democratic Party and said, we're going to compete in all 50 states and was working to get candidates in Alabama and to run them. And and it's smart in a sense, because it it makes, you know, I don't think you want to give up California. I don't think you want to give up New York. I think you want to look for, you know, when you, you see Zeldin, if you're a Republican who in a great year in New York and then a bunch of congressional districts, which was kind of a uh, redistricting seems to have played a, a part in in uh, quite a few of the changes. Um, 
So anyway, but but Zeldin, what he did in, in New York, you can look at it and say, well, even in a great year, we didn't get there. So you're always building. I think the secession and uh, and reformation of states uh, is a, an important political realigner that will help that would help America deal with its with its increasingly persistent and huge problems. I think people have, get, have got to get the idea that things can change in a fundamental constitutional way. And that's the that's a remarkably easy way to do it. It's two or three more counties this last election in Oregon voted to become part of Idaho. So they yeah. have they have uh, quite a few ready to go to move to Idaho. Uh, and that's an interesting that's an interesting thing that have happened by uh, uh, initiative in Oregon. County by county, they're moving the eastern and southern parts into Idaho. That's what they want to do. And it's a great idea. It is because in the sense because they would be better represented there. But here's the I mean, the, the, the real world political rub is with the power of a state. Now, it seems to me that we should be quick, even even with politics, to say if those three counties want to go over to Idaho, instead of being in Oregon and Idaho says, well, welcome aboard. I mean, do we even have to sign anything? Let's just do it. And uh, somebody call the map maker. But the U S Congress would have to go along with it. Yes. But, but, but you wouldn't have the same sort of, it doesn't give them, doesn't give them two more senators. Right. It's not the, it's not making Puerto Rico or Washington DC, this little tiny spot on the map, a full fledged state with two senators and, and uh, so it's it's I think it's tough to do a lot of what they're wanting to do. Like in California, you could split it into three states, six states and do it in such a way that it didn't dramatically help one party or the other. And I think if you're if you're serious about making the changes to help people be better represented, then don't let the partisan get involved, because once it does, it's dead and it should be dead. Yeah, well, you know, in my state, Washington, there has been a movement to split off the eastern part of the state from the western part. Yes, but that would make another Republican, uh, a Republican uh, voting block, right? That's what they're that's what they're afraid of, right? Uh, and I think it would make more sense to then split off the Seattle area, uh, you know, the Puget Sound area, so that you'd have a Democratic block. And then you'd have, you know, you'd have Tacoma and, and Vancouver and the other, the, the old Washington state would probably be closer on the edge between Republican and Democrat, but it wouldn't be an obvious uh, win for either side. And of course, the other way to do it, I think, and it would be not having to worry about the state boundaries so much, but smaller districts, much smaller districts where Rural people are going to feel represented because we do have the representatives. We don't we don't have to connect to a city. And, you know, you got these these districts where, you know, there's this huge landmass with 40 percent of the vote. And then it gets to the suburban, exurban areas and takes 60 percent. And then all of a sudden it's, it's not a rural district. It's a suburban district. But rural people are in it saying, I don't have a rep. I got a suburban rep. I, I'm I'm a rural voter. So it, there, there's a lot of stuff like that. That that uh, As a person it, like myself who likes to think of things outside the box and have, has no compunction against doing so, I actually have a new way of making a large republic. 
and and it's a it's a completely new system. Uh, people are still voting. People are you know it's a still representative government. However, what you do is that you make every major city a territory of the state with no voting rights for the inhabitants. It's only the people on the outsides so that the outside is run by responsible individuals who aren't crazy. And then you have the reserve for the crazed lunatic people who live in the cities who are like rats in a maze, get crazier and crazier every year because why wouldn't they? They're in a city. So that that's how you run is that you have a complete reversal of how a Democrat would think, for instance, would just have, have it ru- run by rural and suburban <laughs> right, people. Right. And the actual cities are just enclaves. If you want to live in the city, you have to give up your voting rights. That's all. Uh, you know, incredibly persuasive, Tim, but I'm still I'm still not there yet. Well, I think it's more of a science fiction notion than it would be something for a novel in a, in a, in a, in a weird utopian or dystopian it, novel. It is worth getting folks in the city to see it that way, to see it that in the rural area, they're feeling and, and often are just I got no voice. There's no one to worry about our problems because we're a minority and and you could you could district us in such a way that we have a rep or two reps but you could also district us in such a way that we have no reps and uh and and of course that's why I make the argument the more reps the less that's a, a problem the less diversity is a problem the more reps you have the less you know the yeah, less yeah. money is a problem because the districts are tiny and you can't you can't spend $20 million. People are going to start to go, you know, your gold-plated letter I got yesterday, I thought was enough. You don't have to give me another one today. A lot of the problems that we have in uh, politics is that people don't really appreciate the social environment that forms their ideas of the other side. And I mean, right now, I mean, I know lots of Democrats who just loathe with an interesting and abiding passion the flyover states. I mean, they've been loathing them for years. I mean, I, I mean, I was in this lived in the city. I've been around intellectuals. I know exactly what they think of country people, and uh, this has been a long time coming, and it's perennial. And part of it is because of propinquity. That is how tight populations are are together. And when you begin to think differently when you don't know your neighbors and the people who are walking down your street. You become afraid. When you're afraid, you then leap to different kinds of order. That's the problem. You know, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was a senator from New York. But if people remember back, Bill Clinton did not win New York. Jerry Brown came in and won New York, as I recall. Uh, and and Clinton had a lot of trouble in New York. And I remember thinking, I think his trouble is... He's a Southerner. He talks like a Southerner. And that's not in the same way that, you know, if someone had a New York accident, uh, accident, if someone had a New York accent in Little Rock, Arkansas or Mobile, Alabama, they might go, he talks funny. Uh, And but I think there was also with the Southern accent, I think there is a well, you can't be as smart with a Southern accent as you would be if you had a Eastern accent. 
and uh, and maybe that's subtle, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I well, think it's not I'm subtle. Right. The hatred for the South <laughs> by Yankees by Yankees is really really strong, and I think it's really obvious when you're an American just to look about how people talk about various people, and uh, and I, it's kind of interesting. It's much more as a general thing. In other words, I've been to New York, and of course, I don't have that much of a Southern accent, but other people who do, um, it's not like they're going to be mean to you. The average person, they don't have anything against you. It's it's more the pol- political, oh, no, you're going to be another one of those, you know. Yeah. right? It's, it's the Southern Poverty Law Center. Or, uh, why is it the Southern Poverty? Is there no poverty in the North? Seems to be a, a lot. It's so they can get money from, there's more money in the North, and people in New York or wherever can feel like, well, I'm helping those racists in the South. Right. I'm well, helping it, fight them. I'm not fighting the racists next door to me, but. Right, right. I mean, it, it should be, re, you know, renamed the Carpetbaggers and Scallywags uh, rights <laughs> organization. Uh, and I mean, that's, and, and, and frankly, I understand the hatred of the South. Because, I mean, I'm from the north, I mean, but I'm not from the Yankee north. Oregon to the south of me, Willamette Valley especially, these people are from the Puritan east. These people are from that class of group of people. But the people here in Washington State mostly, yeah. it's a different group of people entirely. These are, I mean, they have nothing to do with Yankees. We're not Yankees. We're a bunch of Scandinavians where I live. So that that's not really Scandinavian. That's not really Yankee. It's not part of the Yankee culture. You know, one of a... Yes. Uh, Albion Seed. Have you ever, did you ever read Albion Seed? Did you ever look at it? No. Uh, that book. Oh, it's an amazing book. A history of the cultural history of of uh, the United States from four groups from uh, England, and the four different groups basically made different cultures that have been vying for attention and power ever since. And it's the Yankee, the uh, Puritan Massachusetts type. We by the way, I put I put a I put a uh, statement about uh, uh, Massachusetts culture, political culture, in the uh, mix this week for the thoughts. Did you see Henry Adams' sta- uh, statement? Yes, yes, <laughs> I actually pulled that out. I pulled that out. That was the last thing I was going to talk about. It, but let's go to it right now. Yeah, I love that statement. It just Henry Adams is such a character. And well, uh, uh, and I know nothing of Henry Adams, so you can tell people who he is after I. Maybe you can. Hopefully, you can after I. Uh, just read it real quick. Uh, politics as a practice, whatever its professions, has always been the systematic organization of hatreds. And then on the website, we have the rest of the sentence. I didn't put it in the, in, in the thing. So it's, it's about how in Massachusetts, it's really obvious. And I, or something like that. It's a very funny statement. Um, that's from the first few pages of The Education of Henry Adams. Uh, and Henry Adams was the son, I think, of Charles Francis Adams, who was the son of John Quincy Adams, who was the son of John and Abigail Adams. We had quite wow. a few Ad- uh, Abigail Adams quotes this uh, this week. Yeah, the, the, my favorite Adams really probably are Henry Adams and Abigail Adams. Uh, I think they're the, they're the re- they're the real shining stars. We also had one from John Quincy, uh, but uh, and I like that I, the Adams family is very interesting. Henry Adams was an amazingly intelligent super intelligent historian uh his brother brooks adams who basically had his his middle name you know henry brooks adams and his brother brooks adams i never got their naming convention in that family but brooks adams was a teddy roosevelt imperialist uh and henry adams wrote a 
wrote a really long essay, a book called The Degradation of Democratic Dogma. And he was just basically explaining how democratic ideas withered in America under, under the onslaught of <laughs> progressivism and nationalism and all the things he kind of hated. Uh, he was an interesting fellow. Um, uh, he also uh, appears as a character, I think, or at least the basis of a character in some Gore Vidal historical novels. I think as a basis of a character. Uh, oh, yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I was a big fan of Gore Vidal's uh, historical novels, especially 1876, uh, which I thought was just like almost perfect a perfect book and uh and uh, one of the characters is actually a character of henry adams from the novel democracy which is i think the best political novel in american history democracy and is that a is that a gore vidal no that's a that's a henry adams novel oh and, okay. and it's a short novel and it's i think it's just magnificent uh there are a few historical uh political novels from the 19th century in America that I think were really interesting. Uh, John W. DeForest also wrote a few. His most famous novel is uh, is Miss Ravenel's Conversion from Rebellion to Loyalty. <laughs> Miss Ravenel's Conversion. And it's about a, a Southern woman who becomes an abolitionist or something like that. I've not read it, but I have read John W. DeForest's John W. DeForest's Honest John Vane, which is all about corruption during the Gilded Age, and it is just it is just wonderfully wonderful uh, and rich in just how preposterous uh, corruption could be in politics in America. Yeah. Anyway, but I love that Henry uh, Adams quote because he understood that uh, hatreds is a big deal, and you know there's this sectoral, uh, sectional divides in America, like the South versus the North, and that sort of thing, and maybe it helps for me to because i don't really feel part of any of the four major white groups in america you know in albion seed uh there's you know four major groups i like the quakers the best he he, he you know sort of the puritans the quakers the virginia uh you know establishment the virginia royalty aristocrats like jefferson and washington in that matter and then the fourth one in his in this is david hackett fisher uh, and uh, and the fourth one was the backwoods, which I guess would be Scots Irish. And the Scots. Oh, so maybe I could sneak it. Well, I'm Irish. So I'm not really Scots Irish, but I but could maybe sneak it. In was there. A, it was a huge influence on American culture. These four cultures, right. and they're radically right. different. And he showed how they're different in almost every way. He goes through the long book, goes through all the different ways that they, they behave, how they think about life, family, God, everything. And uh, and he then in each in each section he has their conceptions of liberty. And their conceptions of liberty are actually quite interesting and different. Uh, huh. And uh, it's 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 one of the great books in American uh, history, I think. Ah, that's interesting. I had uh, never heard of it, so that's cool. Hey, we should shift gears to the maybe the biggest story uh, of the week, which we'll just touch on. Um, and it's one of those stories that's kind of a non-story at this point. But uh, uh, there was... Uh, well, two big stories together, and none of them uh, huge uh, in, in the aftermath, or at least yet. But Xi Jinping and Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, came out round one. Uh, they had three hours worth of meetings. And after that meeting, uh, President Biden came out and said he didn't believe, he didn't think that there was an imminent threat 
for China to invade Taiwan. And I thought, we well, you know that's good. That, that hey, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> that's good. Did you look into Xi Jinping's eyes and see that, that he's got a good soul? It's, no, he looks right into his soul like uh, George <laughs> W. But I thought, you know, it's isn't it a funny thing? I've I've just met with the uh, you know the uh, it makes me think of of uh, Chamberlain saying I've met with Herr Herr Hitler, and uh, he said, um, but but here uh, Biden's been you know surprisingly I think tough on China has has continued most of Trump's policies I think that was the best part of Trump. Um, and uh, and I'm and I'm not thinking so much about the tariffs, except that they kind of broke things up. And so I'm I'm very forgiving for any uh, any problems they caused in the sense that they they woke up some folks. They were serious, and and we needed a serious refocus on what the heck are we doing with China. But just as as Biden comes out and says, hey, <laughs> they're not going to invade, not this week, uh, we get news that Russia has hit Poland by mistake with missiles. And I, I remember saying as this news first came, I was on the phone with someone, and I said, I said, isn't it funny we were talking about it? And then I said, isn't it funny how easy it is for everyone to believe that the Russians just misfired their missiles? And then, you know, because supposedly they're using a lot of old stock and and the the you know the accuracy of some of their stuff isn't very good and so on. I don't know. That's just what I've been told. Uh but but of course it turns out I and and I was really kind of surprised that the media seemed very careful about it, much more so than they are about things generally. Generally, it would be, well, we don't know this, but we're going to speculate to high heaven as if we did. <laughs> you know, how terrible can we hype this to possibly be? And uh, and they didn't. They were they were much more reserved and and they should have been. Because it turns out that, um, and I don't know that they really know yet whether this was misfired uh, Ukrainian missiles or whether it was Ukrainian missiles hitting Russian missiles that then break apart and fly and hit somebody on the border in Poland and kill them. And and it's why I've always suggested to people, don't start wars. Don't invade this the country next to you. You thought about invading it? Don't. Just don't. It'll be better. I'm, trust me. Trust me on this one. But uh, but but so so I looked at that and I thought, you know, when these things happen, I think we got to, you know, I, I want to leave the world better than I found it. I want, um, you know, and I just I see America as uh, as not very serious. We've like run around the world and told everybody in the world that we got their back. We're going to, you know, we're going to keep everything going. The the seed lanes are going to be open and we've made treaties to defend all kinds of people, including, I think, in several different ways, the Taiwanese. And uh, and we certainly there's no question that we've said we're going to give you in terms of sell you whatever arms you need to defend yourself. And this piece, getting guns to good guys, the good guys are the Taiwanese. And three years ago, it turns out 
we made a deal to sell them weapons, weapons they need against a country that's 54 times or 57 times their population uh, that has all kinds of missiles raining down on them. And you think, well, there's poor little Taiwan and go ahead and think that way. But, you know, Taiwan is they're serious about we're not rolling over. So, uh, you know, this may be, you know, football, you know, Ohio State against, you know, uh, Bald Knob Tech or something. But Bald Knob Tech is ready to play. And and so, you know, they're buying weapons. They've got a serious defense force and uh, and it's getting better all the time. And they're looking for how to how to do these things. And they buy weapons. And of course, China's then going to sanction and do different things and mess up. And we don't deliver them. I saw a uh, full metal, a full metal, full metal, uh, a full measure, uh, Cheryl Atkinson's program. She used to be with CBS and, and uh, kind of left CBS complaining that they like to censor people who don't think left enough. And uh, and she's, she has her own show now, and I think it's I'm going to forget the name of the uh, of the company that does it, but it's a more conservative media outlet that syndicates it. Is it Newsmax or OAN? It isn't Newsmax, and Newsmax seems to be growing fast. I have a good friend Chris Arps who does some stuff for Newsmax, and okay. and uh, some other people who work for Newsmax that, that I'm close to, and they seem to be doing really well. Uh, but no, it was, uh, oh, I can't think of it. Uh, but they, they own a lot of uh, local stations around the country. The Sinclair people? Yes, that's who it is. That's who it is. Okay. Yeah, that's and, an interesting group. I don't know much about it, but they, were, they, uh, they have distanced themselves from the general news culture and quite a long time ago. Yes, yes, they sure did. And and they uh, and they're kind of despised for it. I mean, it's like uh, you, can't, you can't have a different view without somehow you're evil if you don't agree with the mainstream media. So uh, Michael McCall, who uh, Texas Republican congressman, who's I think the chairman of whatever committee does a lot of these things, says we we got a problem. He tells Cheryl Atkinson, we cannot manufacture and produce weapon systems fast enough. And he says, look, you know, these are weapon systems that uh, it's not like we're giving stuff to Taiwan. They, they've paid for them and we, we can't deliver them. I mean, China's not going to go, hey, we were we were going to invade, but we understand that you haven't delivered the weapons to use against us yet. So we'll hold off for a while. I mean, come on. This is this is serious stuff. And it turns out there's a bill in Congress now that uh, it's called the Taiwan Policy Act, Senate Bill 4428. And uh, an article in the Washington Post about it uh, seems to have bipartisan support, but of course it's Congress. So everything's slow. I mean, let's have a vote. Let's do it. Uh, but what this bill would do would be allow the U.S. to move weapons that are now in our stockpile to Taiwan. Now, the downside for U.S. taxpayers is they don't pay for them. I mean, we could sell them, I guess, but it's kind of like you're you're cleaning out your closets. You can sell them or not. But in this bill, it wouldn't be sold to Taiwan. Taiwan's already ponied up the three billion for those arms and waiting, but it would move the stuff over. It's the same sort of thing they're doing in Ukraine, which is Ukraine uh, is not buying these weapons. They're being given. 
And and I'm all for moving weapons to Taiwan. Um, I think they'd be glad to pay for them all. And I would kind of prefer it if they pay for them all, because I think they've got money more than they have weapons. And so they'd be glad to make the trade. So but but if I were a congressman, I'd vote for this bill either way. I might offer an amendment to suggest that we ask if they would write us a check for them, you know, sometime in the next couple of years. But uh, but anyway, it's it just strikes me that it's so important that people be involved. And I'm thinking about writing. There was another one this the, the next day, tomorrow's uh, not tomorrow's, but we're talking about Wednesday, Wednesday script and Thursday script was about Taiwan and U.S. relations called Stuck in the Middle with Us, U.S. And uh, and I'll, I'll get to that, but I want to talk about, and I think I'll try to do something next week to talk about how Taiwan is working to defend itself. <clears throat> but it's, it's uh, you know, this is, I think, an awfully serious thing. And knowing just a few people over there, uh, you know, you feel for people all over the world, but I know these people. I've gotten to know them. And, um, you know, you don't want them to be obliterated. You don't want them to be taken over and to live in a totalitarian society. And uh, you really don't. And it's and it's 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 the kind of thing where you think. By us screwing around and not getting, you know, let let's put the pedal to the metal. Let's. You know, and I think part of that is political leadership. And part of that is, and I, I don't mean from the top, it the the public, I mean, one of the reasons, and, and I tell a couple of friends I have in Taiwan that that look, I don't trust any, don't don't ever trust an American president to do what they're gonna they say they're gonna do. What you can trust is if the American people are in favor, maybe we can have enough leverage that they will follow through. And um, and and so on all of this, it's it's a, it's the sort of thing when you when you look at the way our military and industry is functioning. Um, I'm not exactly a nationalist, but I would like a president who would start to say, you know what? Not good enough. We're going to do better. We're going to build a better military. And, you know, some of Trump's, you know, we're going to build the biggest, you know, and I think it scared a lot of people and kind of scared me a little bit at first. The truth is, if there's there's nothing worse than World War Three, except losing World War Three. And I'm convinced the best way to avoid World War Three is to put the weapons the Taiwanese need in their hands and to prepare to fight and win World War III. That's the best way to not ever have to do it. And of course, the, you know, the booby prize is if, by God, you still have to do it, at least you've prepared a little bit for it. Now, this issue is kind of complicated because one thing you haven't talked about is actually how these deals are made and who supplies them. It's obviously the military industrial complex, which is made up of a bunch of yes. corporations that have long term contracts with the Pentagon and they're not allowed to sell to overseas without congressional oversight. So so we have here our corporations that are protected in some way from competition. 
and get lots and lots of money from. I mean, it's a very incestuous or sure. And so the fact that it's inefficient when it comes to supplying the ordered product doesn't surprise me that much in its own way, because it's oh, this is these are government orders. Right. It's like it's like saying, you know, why is Social Security messed up? Well, because in some sense, politicians are in in, in charge of it. But it's worse than that because Social Security at least isn't run by a bunch of corporations who are making lots of money, even if they don't supply things on time. So right. I, there's, a, there's a lot of weirdness involved here. And I don't know what to make of any of that because it's it's rather like the biggest story of the week that we haven't got to yet. Uh, it's hard to understand because I don't understand where all the finances go, you know, where things go from one place to another. And that's the FTX debacle. Uh, right. That has a Ukrainian element but exactly how that was done, yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's it is kind of vague, uh, but it looks an awful lot like. Uh, well, the whole thing is obviously a scam, but somehow the Ukraine is involved, and I'm not sure exactly. Well, and 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 I don't know if that that <laughs> I would even say it's a scam because uh, I don't know. But and and what we're talking about, let's just mention it and kind of and then and we'll move on because we didn't write anything about it. No, this no. Week. Well, it's hard uh, to figure out. I mean, it's a right, right, because it, it is kind of tough. And what we're talking about is the FTX, the the uh, cryptocurrency that went belly up. That the 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 head guy whose name is Bankman Fried, which is just it's just kind of too rich. But uh, as you pointed out, and uh, anyway, um, they got investment from Ukraine. And it turns out that that FTX was giving money to Democratic candidates running for Congress and the Democratic apparatus as it is. And of course, well, where did Ukraine get the money to invest in FTX? Correct. But but they didn't quite invest in FTX. They 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 bought FTX coin. And then used it to do something with guns. I don't. It was all very. That's that's where it gets yes. pretty hard. But Bankman Fried basically was taking investors from all over the world, but America especially, uh, taking in investors and then cashing out his stock, becoming a you know more, that he was then using to you know give it away to charity, which turned out to be the Democratic Party, and uh, and that's where that thing came in. And then it immediately went b- b- uh, belly up. So that's a that yes. is a scam. He is obviously. I don't know if he's the mastermind of this scam. He might actually be, the, you know, kind of the 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 patsy. I mean, he, I mean, he may not be completely all there, uh, but you know, it, it could be his girlfriend, as far as I know. I mean, there's a lot we don't know yet. Yeah, and and that's one of the reasons we didn't write about it because it's, it's 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 just hard to figure out what's what. It's certainly worth investigating, though. Yeah, but it's um, probably not worth you or me investigating. Uh, no, I'm hoping, no, I mean, I would agree with that. I would agree Tucker with that. Carlson had a whole thing, and he laid out the flowchart, but I'm not sure I completely trust it. Uh, you know, I mean, he was very explicit about how, that that Ukraine was as a big method, but if you if you state it in some ways, I mean, I got tagged on Facebook for uh, incorrect information on the subject uh, because somebody fact-checked it and said, well, you know, Ukraine didn't blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's, eh, it's, it's the usual thing with fact-checkers. They're just basically Democratic Party shills. So, yeah, well, there's, there's, yeah, it's that it's gotten to where it's such a maze to get any decent information. And, you know, maybe it just will make us less trusting, which is a good thing, but but I I do think on the uh, uh, on the 
whole issue of of U.S. what what the U.S. should do in in Asia, and just it it's bigger than what the U.S. should do. It's how we should think about it, and how we should try to build a world that you know. And and look, I, I realize we're not all you know controlling continents and so on, but in our own way, we do build a world, and and what we think about and what we talk about matters. Uh, it can have huge impact, and hopefully it will. But I, I talk about the next day uh, stuck in the middle with us. Uh, and this is something I've been wanting to write for a while because I bump into these stories as I'm you know, trying to learn more about what's happening with China and, and in Southeast Asia and Taiwan and, and those policies. And I, I see these stories, I watch these videos, and a recurrent theme is that poor Taiwan is stuck in the middle of this great power rivalry. And, you know, they're liable to just get stomped on while the elephants are fighting each other. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that would be a great way to talk about this story if it applied. But it doesn't apply because Taiwan isn't caught in the middle. Taiwan is maybe in between us, but to one side they're saying, please don't invade and kill literally. I mean, any talk of an invasion or, you know, having some sort of blockade or, I mean, it all is going to harm the, the Taiwanese people. You're talking about tens of thousands of deaths and injuries or hundreds of thousands or if it's a full scale, they're hitting missiles all over the place. I mean, we're talking about some serious death and destruction to be followed if China wins by having no rights. And what's their fear of the U.S.? Well, there's no fear of the U.S. They're hoping and praying the U.S. will help. So this, this structure of this the, you know, hey, we're presenting the story of Chinese, Taiwanese, U.S. relations, and the best way to frame it is a fight between two superpowers over this country. That's a lie. It's a flat-out lie, and it's told again and again and again. And look, I'm not suggesting that the Chinese have some special agent at NBC and at NPR and at the CNA, which is a Singapore-based English news, uh, English language news channel. Of course, knowing the CCP, they might, <laughs> but but I'm not suggesting that. But this is maybe it's just lazy think, but it's bull. It's absolute bull. And it could lead a country of 300 million people like the United States into thinking that, well, hey, let's not let's not mess up Taiwan's day by fighting over it. <laughs> and that's not what's going on. It 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 strikes me so often in in the modern world. We talk about dictators with terminology that's that's meant to soften everything. And then we talk about, like, you know, we, we might talk about our president um, who, you know, maybe a little corrupt and a little this or a little that. 
as if they're Hitler. I mean, think about George W. Bush was not my guy. I I never liked George W. Bush. Just he's he always struck me as a big government conservative, a neocon. And of course, that's how he governed. But all over Europe, all over the United States, he was he was called a Nazi. And when you think about, oh, Trump is a fascist, and I mean, that was 24-7 at higher decibel levels. But they called George W. Bush a Nazi all the time. And it's like we're going to tiptoe around Xi Jinping, who's got a couple of million people, or maybe just one million. Maybe Paul's exaggerating. Maybe it's just one million Uyghurs that he's having raped and tortured and browbeat and brainwashed and told to stop believing the religion they want to believe and so on and so on. It's like, it's like, wake up, people, <laughs> wake up. And uh, in this piece, I just, you know, I just point out that it's, it's, it's garbage and uh, point out at the end that, you know, we're not stuck with Taiwan and they're not stuck with us, but that we do share values that individual lives matter and as equally as important we're we're up against a superpower if there are such things as superpowers i don't really like those terms but they're certainly one of the most powerful countries in the world that doesn't believe individual lives matter and let's not forget that and let's not let our media forget it or listen to them and not remember to oh they're full of it (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't really disagree with you on that i guess uh i'm china worries me in, in in an odd way partly because i think that china is doing great job weakening the united states in ways that isn't being acknowledged very much i think china is behind some of the cultural decay in america i think they're pushing things i think that there's evidence for it and the, well, there's a lot of talk of them pushing, you know, making fentanyl more, more available and yeah. so on. They do a number of things that are bad for us, that help make us weaker, make the United States. And then they need us to be weak because, well, I think that's some of the reasons they also push Putin to, Putin to uh, go into Ukraine is that I, they want us distracted, weak, and ineffective uh, because that's the part of their plan. If this were about China... Like when people talk about rivalry, this has nothing to me. This has nothing to do with rivalry. If China were going to become more productive than the U.S. and richer per capita, whatever, and and they're not going to torture or kill people, they're not going to take over countries that don't want to be taken over. They're not going to be genocidal. Well, there's no problem. Um, And it may be a problem for some people in U.S. government. They may say, look, that's going to mean we don't have as much control. And, you know, they they may have different a different view. But I don't see China as a rival in that way at all. And and it just it it to be talked about like that is to ignore the reality of what China is doing. And it's you know, if, if someone came over to your house tomorrow and you knew that they were a serial killer. Would you just kind of make polite conversation and try to move everything along until the party ended? Or would you say, you know what? <laughs> I think I'm going to call the police and have them here to arrest the, you know, the serial killer when they get here. 
Well, you know, genocidal totalitarians are not really much better than serial killers. In fact, they're serial killers with a nation state behind them. Yeah, this is a real tricky subject. Let's go to an easy one. Yeah, that your Friday one isn't easy. Is it easier <laughs> at all? It's the, it's the hardest subject of our time. And it's not one that, you know, I've become interested in this subject in the last five years, but it's not one that I enthusiastically embraced because it's, it's a, you know, it, I needed something more on my plate. Yeah, why not think of, or that I, that I want it to be true. I wish it weren't true, but I think there's something to UFOs. And I'll just full disclose to everybody here. We've talked about this for, I guess, probably five years, however long. I can't, you know, to me, the difference yeah. between a year and 30 years now is now I can't tell. So, yeah, but, no, but for years, we've talked about this. And for a long time, you talked about it. I said, but I don't think you want to do anything on this. And I'd always kind of like, well, why wouldn't I want to do it? Well, it's kind of crazy stuff and so on and so on. And, for, and, and you really discouraged. There were several times where I may want to do something on that. You go, well, I don't know that you want to go there. And and, uh, and well, people and, call you crazy. That's one thing. People yes, yes. point blank call you crazy or stupid well, and, or whatever. But you're not you're not usually shy. You're not usually someone telling me, Hey, don't go there. That could be too controversial. Or something. you're not looking to, you know, you're not, you're not a PR flag. You're an ideas guy. And, and so anyway, but, but I always thought the whole, you know, I mean, it's an interesting subject throughout, but the most interesting part of it is the way our government deals with us and even more so uh, deals with it. And even more so, deals with us yeah and it's as if this is for their you know edification but not for ours and that's that says something and then you have to ask why why would you not fully disclose it well because it's too well if it's too then by golly you better disclose it so um what what this piece is about is the fact that um we are we they have a bunch of new data new sightings uh these are uh these are all military uh reports and and they can't really explain a whole bunch of them they put it at what is it over 40 percent over 40 percent 40 percent now see the, and the one percent to be yeah, exact yeah, we play with that number so and this is important for people to think about because Back in the days of Blue Book, I think that they had a, they estimated it was around eleven percent or twenty percent, no more than twenty percent of you know of all the UFO reports were unexplainable by you know easy you know e easy right, to right. I mean, who knows what they there are? Was a, there They're, was a flare in that same area, yeah. or there was a weather balloon, or well, whatever. of course they they gave a lot of bad explanations. By the way, that, right, that, that's, right. They they cooked up. There have been so many weather balloons that were misidentified for things that zigzag through the sky. Well, you know, <laughs> weather balloons don't do that, so that's that's kind of stupid. Uh, but 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 there's Hypersonic a sonic weather balloons. But this new report that that's that's has been to Congress, got turned back, and I think it's has Congress, but there's no public version yet that I know of, at least. I mean, it was this week? I, I didn't. I didn't look. At, you, you didn't look before we actually went to press. Uh, but but uh, but it, there was no public version, uh, and so that we don't really have. We don't really have direct reports to look at. But there are people in Congress who are just you know on the floor saying, "This is." You were saying bull. That's bull. They're saying this is bull. But what we're getting is not the truth. Right. You're right. not honest about this. You're not dealing with all the data. You're you're saying things that is obviously not true. I mean that there. 
it's kind of interesting well, and, to see Congress people uh, actually stand up for the truth every now and then. Uh, that's kind of amusing. Yeah, that's nice, <laughs> nicely, nicely done. It. You wonder, you know, as we point out in this piece, if you know some some have suggested, oh, these are just super drones. It's the latest, you know, whatever. But if that's the case, this is some serious technology, and you worry, is this that one country or another has technology that's beyond anything the other country has? Have they both developed or both or all three or all seven or, you know, have numerous countries developed some technology that's beyond what, you know, and, and it hasn't kind of been put into the economy. It's just left in this. We use it only for military type stuff. Or are there aliens and are they basically on on the planet, around the planet? Um, and and, you know, in I mean, it all, yes. Yeah. And it and it all sounds crazy, but we all know that any part of it could be true. So, I mean, what what can you do? I'm be a little trepidatious and say, let's find out. Yeah. Now, I think that uh, one of the statements that the Pentagon keeps on reassuring is that some of this is uh, Chinese drones. The drone technology has gotten a lot better and some of it is. And I don't doubt that right. at all. It's right. just that there's some evidence, especially recently with the, uh, with uh, oh my, I forgot the uh, who's that major astrophysicist, the the Japanese guy. Uh, I mentioned I mentioned him before on a podcast. Um, he is now a firm believer that there's something weird, weird going on here. People can go back and they they can listen to each every, and every podcast every, and every until podcast. they get. Yeah, I, I forget the guy's name, but he's a, he's he's the one you always go to when you see, you see him all the time when they ask for astrophysics questions. And there's about three guys they go to, and, you know, and he's one of them. And he's part of a study that worked for a week and they found UFOs good, going in and out of the water off of the California coast every day of the week, basically. And they have telemetry on multiple systems. So this is not a this is not a a little thing. They're, and if they're drones, they're multi um multimedia drones that is they go through air and water air and water yeah and that is that's another level of weirdness that that needs to be dealt with right and that's one of the reasons why we now whether they're aliens i mean they're alien to our civilization beyond that i don't know what the that they are i mean i just don't i just don't know and there are i've always looked at the the natural law explanations you know there's there's pl possible plasmas that do this but then they find these they, they, they tell us the telemetry data and that gets kind of weird uh, because it doesn't look like you know it doesn't look like some of them do look like fireballs by the way i mean there are green fireballs was a thing that happened in the united states uh by by nuclear uh sites at hanford and back in the 50s and 40s uh, there were these green fireballs that I was before through, my time yeah went through the sky and and behaved you know they said you might have thought they were meteors, but they weren't going down, right? You know, meteors are supposed to go down or across the sky. They're not supposed to zigzag around and fly right. over and right. fly over, you know, Hanford uh, nuclear power plant. So there's a lot of weirdness involved with this whole thing. I don't know what to make of it, but <laughs> like you, I'm, the interesting thing is, is that parts of the U.S. government and the military industrial complex, they know more than they're saying. What they know, we don't know, but we know they know, and we don't know. Right. Yes. Okay. And we'd like to know. And one of my theories is the reason they don't tell us, and the reason they've always avoided, is that they do know what they are. The word, you know, the the most inexplicable ones they are. And right. 
and if they and they know and it scares the bejesus out of them not because they're a threat to um our military probably because they could have been a long time ago but because they're a threat to our heads and i i suspect that's the case but that's me going out on the longest limb that i could possibly go out on. <laughs> you heard it here first <laughs> but i think that they're very weird I, I, they're I think coming they're for your head they're coming for your head. Well, that, that's actually something that Jacques Vallée and others have stated, uh, is that there is a strange connection between UFOs and human consciousness. And that is creepy. This was back in the 1950s. You, the, the, the evidence was coming in, is that these stories of UFOs are not usually just sighting, seeing something. The, the most important are contacts. They do something to the people's heads. And they do something. Their physicality, uh, they get sick or they get better. They get they get a little crazy. They tell strange stories that most of them can't possibly be true. So that's interesting in and of itself. So it just gets very very strange. And what if the answer is something we don't really want to hear? And I think that that's the thing is that maybe that's what they decide these people you know out there in America land they don't need to know this stuff. That's, yeah. that's that's kind of what I suspect, but I, but I don't know what that thing is. I mean, what what are they? My favorite, my my least favorite, and then and thus my fa favorite example is: what if they're the angels and demons? That would be my least. I mean, I'm I'm not a religious person, as you know. I'm I'm not a religious person, but that's the one thing you have to consider: is that, that a lot of people believe these are angels and demons, and what right. you're seeing are angels and demons in reality. Now, what, I would ask, what does that mean? And so that gets really interesting. But because it's my least, where I want to go the least, it's the one I think about almost as much as anything else. And <laughs> can you imagine... I'm not sure what that says about you, Jim. <laughs> well, you, have to, you always have to challenge your ideas. Right? I know, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's just, that's where, that's where I go with this. And uh, I think it's very interesting that the Pentagon has been divided on this subject from the beginning too. We know that in the forties, they were uh, like at uh, general twining. There's a, there's a famous memo. Uh, he basically says, these things are real. They're not, they're not hallucinations. They're not illusions. They're not natural phenomena. They are somehow intelligently directed. And then he didn't know anything more or he wouldn't say anything more. So uh, that's very odd. And that's been around for a long time, and they've been keeping that from us for a long time. Well, if there were any, uh, if you if you thought you were going to run out of mysteries to solve in your lifetime, <clears throat> this this podcast has proven you incorrect. Yeah, I think. Yeah, well, at least it makes the world more interesting than we thought it was. You know, it's not boring. No, it's not boring. And I'll tell you, I think uh, uh, this this last two years politically feels like there hasn't been much of a rest let down after Trump. And I'm sure there's some people in America who are thinking, oh, I've, I've been totally outside of it and then I'm glad for you. But but it's been a fairly intense and I think we're going to have a very intense two years. So um, it's well, he, uh, he just said that he's going to run again. Yeah. Which I think is a horrible idea for him. You know, and we did not uh, cover it or mention it in any commentary, um, but it's such an early uh, announcement. Uh, it's I think it's a big mistake on his part. Um, and I, I can see some reasons why it wouldn't be a mistake, but that's, you know, I'm not privy to, you know, how worried he is he'll be indicted or something else. It's probably better to be a candidate when that happens than not be. 
because it's hard to announce after that. And you can say it's to try to knock me out. Um, you know, I have uh, I have a uh, it's funny to say I have a special place in my heart for Donald Trump uh, for many of the good things that he did, especially upsetting the apple cart uh, with China. Um, but I have no desire to vote for him again. I think his post yeah. his post election twenty twenty behavior was uh, was not up to my standards, and uh, and I don't I don't want to see him run for president and what he's doing. But it'd be interesting. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Republican fatigue. You know, there there I think half the half the party you know kind of likes him and half doesn't. And, uh, and, and so there's, there's certainly a, a lot of people who would like to see him not, not be the nominee. I right. think well, than, than a year ago or two years ago. Yeah. Well, Republicans have a real problem. I mean, they, they, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, what is their mission? They, they've been saying their mission for years and they get one of their, they get one of their goals this last year. And they didn't know how to handle it. The leadership didn't know how, how to handle getting Roe overturned. They've been promising it for... Because it wasn't one of their goals. That's what I'm getting at, yeah. Yeah. It was and one it, of the movement's goals. Right. People and, want and, and especially they didn't know what to do because, hey, it's not helping me at this moment. Right. And yet I can't completely dump it because you guys who have supported me all along would be mad at me. That's how they I mean, they view issues as how you navigate politics and voters view issues as why you navigate politics. Oh, that's very good. OK, yeah. Yeah. I I, I think that th this would have been was such an opportunity for them to come out looking like statesmen, like we used to think of statesmen as great people and to actually have a message that both cheered on the side who we were against Roe and then assuaged and, and you know, tamped down some of the freak out that happened on the left because abortion is very, very important to a lot of people. Uh, right. They really want to kill those babies. I have, when I say that, my friends don't like it when I say that. Uh, but, uh, but, that's, but they didn't do that. And the, I think that that's the kind of thing they're incapable of. And I also, I think Trump is incapable of that kind of thing and he showed itself with covid and i think that he blew covid and that's why i don't like him you don't like him for january 6th post-election and i don't like right. that i don't like that very much either that's not my biggest thing but i really dislike him for uh what he did with covid nevertheless i voted for him too in 2020 because and it was only for me for one two reasons kamala came out as a communist in all but name and I want to say I wanted to tell my Democrat friends, yeah, I voted for for that guy. I thought of you when I did it because I, at this point, <laughs> my disgust with the Democrats is about as is about as high as it could possibly be. So there you are. No, and and I'm with you on COVID. I'm just not I'm not surprised that he got that he kind of got taken. Oh no, the, no, it's not surprising. No, no. And so no. I'm I'm probably more forgiving on that. But but you're right, it was a big mistake. And it and it was a mistake that hurt him. Yes. Now I think I think early on though, I think he could see how it could help him. 
that he'll be on the TV every, but you have to, you have to be blind to how much the media hates your guts to think that that's going to. And happen. he also promoted Fauci and Burks <laughs> and that was dreadful. Yes. And yes, it was. he also, and then he wanted to be savior giving us all the, all, all the uh, right. fast track vaxes. And I'm, I'm, since I'm against them, I'm literally against the vaxes, uh, which just happened to be prepared so quickly. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very interesting story. The whole thing is an interesting story. And when the story is finally well, they had they had made a bunch of progress on it before. And I mean, that that technology, I guess, before. Right. That. And and there's a reason why it's easy to, to adapt an mRNA, uh, you know, the, that technology right. for new things. However, we also they didn't you know, they didn't really do any work on it in a sense of testing. We it, well, it turned out they didn't do any work on seeing whether it. uh uh, stop the transmission or not. That was an interesting right, little development right. recently, which you wrote about. And so right. it's all very interesting. This is a great, great time to be alive. Look at how, I mean, I'm sure at some point they're going to be doing a new promotion thing on get another jab or whatever. And then Biden's gotten what, like five or six, but he's, he gets COVID. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, I've had jabs. I got COVID afterwards and oh, someone might say, "Well, if you just got enough jabs, no, I'd still get COVID, or I wouldn't, or you know, it doesn't. It it's pretty obvious um, that it is not some bar to getting COVID." And I I think the public finally has kind of moved on from there. But but fear is a powerful motivator, yeah. and um, and we'll look at look at how much people are they can't wait to get their kids. The jab. And I think uh, that just strikes me as it, I just can't imagine that you could do a cost benefit analysis. And these are people I love. I mean, these are loved ones I have who, who you know, and it's not they're not my kids. I don't get to decide. But um, but I would not be getting any anybody under, you know, at no point would I have thought anybody under like 25 or 30 or 35 you know, your, your risk of getting COVID and it being catastrophic is so, you know, abysmal. Yeah, I, I think all my grand or great grand or what do you call it? What my nieces and nephews, children, great nieces. Yeah, you, know, you don't have grand nieces. You have, no, you have great well, they can be that you can call them grand nieces or grand uncles. Anyway, I believe I believe they've all been jabbed. I, I, I just don't get yeah. it. I, I think it's all very weird. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so. Well, we'll hope and pray, and we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Very good.